This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we be on a Thursday. Yes, that's right. We're still in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And another jam-packed show coming your way. Uh, We're so busy. As Steve likes Gosh. to say, we are neck deep in guests. And uh, we're going to have a little fun today, too, because we got that uh, comedian, Joey Molinaro, who uh, yeah. I'm just going to say it. He's he's done the best Mel Kuyper I've ever heard. Yes. Even much. I love Frank Caliendo. I think this guy's got him beat on Mel Kuyper. He's that good. So <laughs> we look forward to uh, catching up with Joey Molinaro, who's a local indie guy. Um making the rounds here and he's he's pretty dang funny yeah so uh be good to catch up with him we also will be hearing from mark ross former front office executive of the bills giants and eagles and he'll kind of give us the front office perspective especially how are all these teams now steve handling the jalen carter situation Uh, yeah i i think we'll see uh but it does make just, I think, a ton of extra work for those teams. They, oh, now yeah. they got to go, oh, my gosh. Whole now new what? set of due diligence. Now what? So now they got to go in and talk to a whole new round of people and, and, and make sure that nothing – because it, not only do you have to justify the pick to your ownership and, and st- your, your fan base wants to know, and you've got to be comfortable with it. So we'll see what happens and get, get Mark Ross's take on that. It's Yeah, that's it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, the other people that we'll be bringing on the show today will have a return engagement with one Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, draft analyst. Earlier in the week, he helped us with the wide receiver class. Today, he's going to be helping us with interior offensive linemen. So that's a conversation I we look forward to about an hour and a half from now. And your good friend Frank Reich. We caught up with him late yesterday afternoon after we were off the air, but we... Recorded that interview for you guys to enjoy today. We'll get to that in about 10, 12 minutes' time. Uh, Player releases, Steve, are happening as teams try to get into cap compliance by March 15th. The latest, the Buccaneers are expected to release tight end Cameron Brait in the coming days. This, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Brait has played nine seasons in Tampa, Harvard grad, he has a cap hit of around $5 million. But they're trying to save money everywhere they can. Right. And I think it's just another example, Steve, as to how the middle market of the NFL is disappearing. Yeah. I, I think it's the haves, the have-nots, and the guys in the middle are getting squeezed. Right, and I think the guys in the middle, the guys at the bottom would just love to get to the middle because that's that's – the middle of the NFL market is still life-changing money, and guys want to get there, and they want to get a chance to play. And if they play well enough at that level, they can move up one or at least get a, another year added on. So great, uh, there's a great deal of desire for guys to either hit free agency at the right moment in their career or get a chance to come off a great year not under contract. Yeah. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is a perfect example of that, and and so's Jordan Poyer. Both those guys are hitting it at the right time. Now, 
you can say what you want about the sadness that they have leaving the, the club that has been so good to them. They've got such a great relationship and the fan base is so good and the town they love and the great situation that it has been. Nevertheless, you're talking strictly financially and business-wise, they're right where they want to be, where every club, where every team, uh, yeah. every player wants to be. There is updates on Jalen Carter's situation. As we told you yesterday when the news came down that he was, there was an arrest warrant out for him for reckless driving and racing charges, which are misdemeanors, that he and his representatives released a statement. They said he would turn himself in, flew back to Athens, well, flew back to Atlanta, drove to Athens, Georgia, and did turn himself in to police last night at 1130, then posted $4,000 bond and was released. Sources are now telling NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that Jalen Carter is back here at the scouting combine to finish his interviews, his measurements, along with whatever other activities he still has on the docket. Uh, he did say in a statement yesterday that he looks forward to bringing forth the full unvarnished truth about exactly what happened and believes by doing that he will be completely exonerated. Hopefully for his sake he is. But that's where that stands at this point in time. And as we said, we'll be talking with Mark Ross a little bit later on in the show. He's worked in NFL front offices. He knows what teams have to do now in the wake of something right. like this. It'll be really interesting to get his perspective on that today. Um, while there are some teams cutting, there are some teams franchising, Steve. The Jacksonville Jaguars, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, expected to put the franchise tag on tight end Evan Ingram. The franchise tag for tight ends, $11.34 million. It's not all that much. It's not terrible. It's not all that much. And Ingram much. had a good season for them last year. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I mean, you can afford, you can get to it, you can see your way clear to a lot of these teams, particularly the ones with cap space. You can see your way clear to franchising guys at certain positions because those positions are not lucrative positions. Tight end, I'm shocked that that's the number. Yeah. Because you, even middle linebacker, man, the number's like 15, 17. Well, the reason linebacker is all grouped together, which has pass right. rushers included in it. That's, That's what inflates right. that number. That's right. But Evan Ingram last season, a career high, 73 receptions, a career high, 766 yards, four touchdowns in his first season with the Jags. So pretty good figures uh, on a contract year. So that worked for him. Now, the question is, does Jacksonville sit tight with the franchise tag on him, and does Ingram sign it, or do they try to negotiate a long-term deal? Because I think he's, what is he? I think he's only about 28, um, 29 years old. So, yeah, he's 28 years old. So you could, you could see him as part of your long-range plan. I mean, they're already a yeah. playoff team. So do you want to just sign him to a one-year franchise? I would think they'd be inclined to try to get him to a two-, three-year commitment. Well, long-term, I mean, you can't go any further than, what, five years for most players. You're not going to go any further than that. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be fortunate to get a two- or three-year deal. Right, so, uh, I mean, yeah, long-term, okay. But that's – the franchise is not a bank-breaker. And I'm and I'm saying this, you know, I'm going to start hopping harping on this now uh, because it this – team if you can push this stuff out into the distance i mean or at least you know the contract of length you're going to have more room in the coming years because the cap is going to go significantly up faster than it has in the past in the last couple of years this year was a big jump 
maybe the biggest on record, uh, except for maybe the 2020 year because of the pandemic. But this, the cap is going to go up significantly next year as well. I, th I think that is a huge aspect of how teams are thinking about the immediate future over the next handful of years and yeah. where, where they can slot guys financially. It looks like there is movement in contract negotiations for the New York Giants between them and quarterback Daniel Jones. It seems like there is still more work to be done, but Giants GM Joe Shane on Good Morning Football with Peter Schrager basically said things ramped up pretty quick and they've had productive talks throughout the week. They met Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday trying to hammer something out. Apparently, they have made progress, but it doesn't sound as though anything is imminent. But as we've seen before, Steve, things can turn pretty quickly, and then all of a sudden something's done, You know, just right. like we saw last year with Von Miller. Right, and what happens is they, they get into the, the workings of it, and, and they get way down the road, and, and the sticking points are what they're sticking about, and then they compromise on those, or, or one, you know, one of the other sides gives and takes, and they – you know, you get to the end of it, all of a sudden the rest of it's already been done through the course of your conversations before that. And uh, presto changeo, you go from nothing for zero, you know, not being able to talk through it to changing one number on the contract in a number of, in a list of numbers, and you're all done. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I, I see where the Giants went this year. They overachieved. They're in this honeymoon period with Joe Shane, Brian Dayball, and the staff. And there's a big sense that those guys are going to really maximize what's going on in New York. But if you talk to those guys, I bet you they would tell you they got a ton of work to do. A ton of work to do. I don't know that Daniel Jones is going to help them ultimately be the kind of team they feel like they need to be to win that division, go to the playoffs, make a run at a championship. Yeah. But they, you know, they kind of might, might because Dable got so much out of him. Maybe they think he can be. I'm just not convinced yet. Yeah. Maybe it's me. <laughs> it could be. Maybe it could be. So it could yeah, be. we'll have to we'll have to wait and see if in fact they get that done. And really beyond that, nothing too earth shattering going on here besides the Jalen Carter thing amongst the player prospects as we have defensive backs coming through today and, and meeting with the media. And I know that the Bills aren't necessarily in the market for a corner, um, but they could be in the market for a safety. So right. we'll have to see uh, if anybody tickles the fancy of the Bills. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at a situation where they're going to have to add numbers at the position. I mean, could they re could they tender Cam Lewis and get him on a one-year deal? Yes, as a restricted free agent. Could they re-sign Jaquan Johnson to a one-year deal? Sure. Right. But I would tend to think if Poyer is not a part of the equation, they're going to need to sign a veteran for less money than him. And then like an Adrian Amos, who I think might cost half as much and is a good player in my estimation. Well, or – Oh, and forget about or and draft one. You you got to replenish the position, big the, time. The big the focus is this, Brandon. Whoever you get, you need them to work hard or at least attempt 
to outperform the numbers on that contract. I mean, that's the key to the NFL these days. Yeah. You can pay a guy what you want, just don't overpay. Well, if, you don't, if you're paying a guy a big number and he's earning it, you don't have a problem with it, right? You've got to get value for the money you spend. And that if you go out on the free agent market and get guys that are way down the list on you know, their abilities or their, their perceived value around the league, if you get them for what they're worth – there's, it, you're going to be okay. But even even if you get guys who aren't really great players but are experienced veteran solid guys yeah. and you're paying them the right money, that money is being earned hopefully somewhere else on your roster and helping you win games there. It doesn't have to look – you know, every team from year to year doesn't have to look the same. So, you know, one year you win with your secondary and the next year your pass rush kills it, that kind of thing. The Bills don't have to have a D, and it's not going to look the same because of the coordinator. But it's up to the coaches to get the good players on either side of the ball to play their best and put them in a position to win. And if you don't have the safeties to lean on anymore, you can bet they're going to have to call different coverage combinations in the back end, and they'll cover for it a different way. Talking to some of the people in the know, there are safety prospects whose value matches up when you would expect the Bills to maybe look a little harder or more earnestly at the safety position. They said, just talking to some people who scout these players this week here in Indy, they said round three, four is where the sweet spot is for the safety class this year, where you still could get a player that can contribute, maybe not as a starter right away, but on special teams, and then could grow into competing for a starting spot maybe as soon as year two. But that's why I think with the safety class limited in what it can offer, the Bills have to sign a vet at the position if it can't be Poyer because he's too expensive. Right. And then draft another one that you have in the pipeline because yeah. people forget this. Micah Hyde's in the last year of his contract. Is he going to keep keep playing or is he going to say, yeah, I'm good? You know, right. we, we got to wait and see. But you got to prepare for that kind of right. stuff. Here's the thing, too, and we've talked about this a ton um, about all these players, Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer a lot because of the positions they play and because of the contract status. I don't know that there's any way – under any circumstances, the Bills can afford to bring Tremaine Edmonds back to the team and and do him justice as what he could get on the free agent market. I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to sign maybe the biggest line contract a linebacker's ever signed. Even more than Roquan Smith at $20 million two he, months ago? He's, got, he's a six-year veteran, team captain. 25 years old. 25 years old. He's He's got another – he may play for Seven another more years decade. at least. Yeah. Um, and he is at the height of his career right now. You can't find a guy that has more upside, more physical abilities than Tremaine Edmonds. He's a six-year veteran in the NFL. And he's like he's everything you want him to be. I mean, he's just a great dude. So yeah. I, you know, that's what you're up against. You know they're going to have to sign and draft guys of that in that position because Tremaine, if, if, unless he says, I don't, no matter what, I'm coming back to Buffalo – that guy's going to make a boatload yeah. of cash. You're probably right. We had a chance to catch up with this guy's good friend and former teammate, Frank Reich, the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We caught up with him after we were off the air already yesterday, but we were able to get him to sit down with us and chat a little bit about his new job, what he's looking at at the quarterback position for the Panthers, and even comment a little bit on what he thinks of where the Bills are headed going into 2023. So here is Frank Reich. All right, Coach, first and foremost, congratulations. How cool is it to be now with the head coach of a team that you took the first snap 
as quarterback for as an expansion franchise many moons ago. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure out how cool it is. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's up there. And then furthermore, um, it's really cool that the head coach of that team I played on is on the staff that I'm on now, uh, <laughs> and Dom Capers. And yeah. then, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, the city in which we, my wife Linda and I raised our children in for 13 years. Oh yeah, we we live in that city as well. Yeah. So and they're all and they're all there. That is yeah, that would count as cool. Yeah. Yeah, no that question. would count. All that stuff pile on. That's awesome. And now you've got you kind of jumped in and you know you were out of work for all of five minutes, uh, back at it. Because um, I, I we've been friends for a long time. Give me a little bit about that process with the family jumping right back into the fiery furnace of the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I think in many ways it was uh, right. There's nothing, right. Nothing fun about getting fired in the middle of the season. And so it was painful. It was all oh, man. It was like gutted, gutted you for about two weeks, you know? Sure. And then it was like, okay, time to regroup, you know, and let's see what's next. And, um, and, and it's been good. So it was kind of a blessing that it happened when it did because it kind of gives you a chance to regroup, refresh. And you don't take anything for granted. I didn't know if I would get an opportunity or not, but sure. got the chance to interview, uh, you know, in Carolina. And it was it just kind of walked into Mr. Tepper's house and it felt like instant connection. You referenced your coaching staff already. I got to tell you, it's, it's like an all-star staff. Right. Um, whether it's guys who have played the game, at some of your position coaches, you know, like a Deuce Staley or somebody like that. But Jim Caldwell, getting him on a staff when some people didn't even think getting him on a staff to work in the NFL again was going to be a heavy lift. All of a sudden, he's like a senior assistant for you. It's like, whoa, how did that happen? Right. And then you've got some really good up-and-coming names at your coordinator spots in uh, Evero and uh, Thomas Brown, who you didn't previously work with to my knowledge so maybe just walk me through that process because a lot of coaches it feels comfortable to go with what you know and that's why we often see guys hire people that they've worked with previously how did that work you know going through that and then making that call I'm going to go with a guy I haven't worked with before because it feels right yeah no that's a great question and uh, in both cases you know it was people saying to me hey Frank I'm sure you got some great guys on your list, but you really need to talk to Jero. You really need to talk to Thomas. And so, you know, these are people who, who you respect. So um, so you start that interview process, and then it, it didn't take long in both those cases. In first case with Jero, uh, you know, he, of course he was already interviewing for a bunch of head jobs. You could feel his presence, his yes. strength. And, of course, the scheme that, you know, I was hiring the man first, which he was a stud person and a leader. But then, obviously, the scheme that he brings to the table, the job they did last year in Denver, um, that whole Fangio scheme, but he puts his twist on it, was very excited about that. And then with Thomas, it was the same thing. You know, Thomas Brown, an elite offensive mind, um, you know, getting to talk to him. You could see how well-versed he was in the run and the pass game. You know, been with McVay for the last number of years. I thought that was going to be a really good fit with what we've done because it's different. And so uh, we can kind of blend those two together in ways that we think make sense. So you had uh, you had to assemble this, Steph, and, and Brownie's right. You've gotten kudos from around the league about, wow, that's, you know, other head coaches are like, well, wow, that's a, it's a, a, an elite staff. How much um, and your relationship, you said you clicked with Mr. Tepper right out of the get-go. Um, and ownership's important in, in these NFL clubs. How much input did he have? And, you know, he's a relatively new owner in the NFL. 
and this is probably his you know first cycle through. What he, what does he bring to the table? How did he help in that process? Because sometimes guys, owners from other fields, other industries, really do bring a fresh set of eyes to a process. Well, he brought a lot of money to the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sometimes happens too, right? And, and that's what it takes to sometimes hire really good people. No, right. and I, I say that both seriously and kiddingly at the same time. Um, he did kind of promise me in the process. He said, hey, you bring me the best coaches, and uh, we'll do what it takes to get them on staff. And so he did back that up. But, um, but I also picked his brain along the process as well, you know, um, He's obviously been an incredibly, you know, successful person. You know, he's got a lot of wisdom and experience. So, is you know, in him pushing me, is this the right guy for this position group? You know, is and so constantly bantering back and forth on some of those things was very helpful. Quarterback is a big decision for your roster. I don't have to tell you that. Um, you have free agents, and you have restricted free agent P.J. Walker, unrestricted free agent Sam Darnold. You also have the ninth pick in the draft. And people are already speculating, are the Panthers going to jump up to try to get the guy they want, not have the decision made for them by who comes off the board? Where are you guys in that decision-making process? Yeah, we're, we're looking at all those options because there, you know, it would be malpractice not to look at all those options. You know, As it's been reported, we did meet with Derek Carr. We had a great meeting with him. Um, and so feel very good about that meeting and that possibility. But you were also looking at the draft guys. Met with five of those guys today. Right. Uh, they were all impressive. They all got impressive tape. Um, you know, it's it's complicated though. You can't always get what you want or who you right. want. So you have to look at you have to look at every option. You've been through it when when you were head coach here in Indianapolis. You were in a, it was a big story that you know you didn't have the same guy year in year out. You always kind of went through that. What did you learn from that? What have you relayed to to the your new organization about pluses and minuses of that what to look for how to handle this process because you've been through you went through it five years in a row the revolving door right so what what did you what do you bring to the to the process now that you've learned yeah let's get stability at quarterback yeah you know i mean we don't want a revolving door uh, you know every year and so um listen i think every coach would tell you the ideal option is to draft a guy that's going to be your quarterback for the next 15 years um but we don't live in the ideal world. You know, you right. can't, there's not always a pathway to get the guy that you think can be that guy. Um, so, you know, so we think like, for instance, you know, just in Derek Carr's situation, yeah, he, he's not 38, you know, he's 30, he's going to be 32. So, right. you know, that, you, you know, you look at quarterback lifetime, he's got a good five or six years in him. So that could be stability. We could draft a guy that could be stability. There's, you know, other free agents will be out right now. Derek's the only one that we've talked with, but um, you know, at this point, you know, we're keeping those options open. I know you always kind of keep a secondary eye on what's going on up in Buffalo because uh, you've said as much in the past. I imagine that continues. Yes. We, we deal with <laughs> Bill's myopia because Steve and I do this every day, you know, at ground zero. I'm just always curious, what is the bird's eye view of the Bills as an organization right now and where they are? I figure that's a safe question to ask you since you're not playing the Bills <laughs> next fall. Well, I mean, it all, you know, we, I, obviously Sean McDermott has done an, an unbelievable job. Mr. Pagula, you know, has been a great owner up there and really brought a lot to the city. Um, and, but then it all, at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, it's that team, it's that roster, and it's most importantly that quarterback, you know, right. Josh Allen. I mean, he's just a unique player, a unique leader. Um, you know, so it's pretty exciting. As a former Buffalo Bill who does, especially now that I'm in the NFC, 
now I can root even harder for the Bills. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm excited about what's going on up there. So as you start to take the reins of the Carolina Panthers, um, certainly you've got a different agenda because you're, you, you know, you're two months into the job or whatever it is, a few weeks into the job, and you've got to get ready for a season, an offseason, a draft. Uh, where do you start with that priority list? Is it getting acclimated to the building and getting your people in place and getting the right people rather than you know, trying to find more people to hire, you know, the players, all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, what's not, where's your priority list now as opposed to, you know, in respect to the team, your yeah. team, the new players you're getting, the free agents you're looking at, the draft you're looking at? Yeah, the priority is get the staff hired, right? Um, evaluate your own roster. Uh, evaluate the free agents because that's the next thing that comes up. Evaluate the college guys while that's going on. Now that you got your staff, get the playbooks ready. Right. You know, get your installs ready. Okay, the guys are going to be here April 10th, so you know they're going to walk in. We got it. It's got to all be laid out. The whole thing has to be mapped out. So that's the agenda right now. Yeah. And then you are in a pretty unique circumstance as far as the NFC South is concerned, Frank, because you've got teams that in many cases are in a similar situation to you. They're trying to build their rosters up into contender status again. The Bucks are kind of doing a little bit of a teardown, not a complete teardown, but they're going to have a quarterback change, as we know. The quarterback in Atlanta, is it Mariota? Are they going young? Are they going to draft somebody? And you could say the same thing about your team, obviously. You know, And then the Saints, who are a little undecided at quarterback as well. So how does that how does that affect your view from a division perspective as to what you're walking into there in the NFC South? Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at it and say, hey, the NFC South is a good division to be in. Um, right then, I, and that's true. But I look at it and I say to myself, hey, I'm, we're coming into this team. You know, we had, you know, our record was 6-11, and 11, um, you know, last year. But, like, we're really optimistic that we can get this thing turned around fast. Well, what do you think those other teams are thinking? Right. <laughs> every team's right. thinking the same it thing. It seems we're wide thinking. open, though. Like, you know, and, and, right. yeah, but every, and so uh, every year you see it, there's going to be a team that, you know, that comes out of the blue and, and is, you know, making noise. And so we want to be one of those teams. Right. Um, we want to be one of those teams. I'm sure so do those other teams in our division. Um, but I am excited about the opportunity to take nothing for granted. Uh, build it one piece at a time and, and see how it plays out. And all those teams kind of have a, a similar problem. Quarterback is a question mark for, for yeah. most of them. and It, did, it, it is. It's an arms race. It is an arms race. And uh, we all know the importance of that position. Uh, we got to get that decision right. Um, and so that's what we're working on. Scott Fitterer is your GM. How do you kind of – how have the early goings on with him gone in terms of obviously getting on the same page – as to how to build this thing? It's been outstanding. You know, Scott, is, he's great to work with. He's, you know, got an elite mind. I mean, he's super smart, great team player, you know, real uh, comp humble but both a confident guy, a great teammate. Uh, you know, it's, it's been really good. It's been really good between the two of us, constantly going back and forth about these quarterbacks, about the roster, you know, about the whole deal, and then add Mr. Tepper's wisdom into all that. It's been a good dynamic. It's been uh, – I know there's a – a lot of people in Western New York that are pulling for the Carolina Panthers a little harder now that Frank said, <laughs> and I and I, I I knew it. I said it immediately when when you were in the running for that for that job. Um, I said, hey, you know what? He threw the first touchdown pass to that, and 
To Pete Metzler. Pete Metzler has texted me and said, don't forget who he threw it to, right? So, <laughs> um, but it was, I thought it was, it is, that there's a little bit of symmetry to it. There's a lot of people pulling for you. Congratulations. We couldn't be happier, and we'll be, we will be cheering for the Panthers a, a little bit up there in Buffalo. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Frank Reich, head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We take a break here, but when we return, comedian Joey Molinaro. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. You haven't heard a Mel Kuyper impersonation like this in a long time. We're back with that next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker coming to you live from the NFL Combine and pleased to be joined now by the co-host of These Guys podcast, comedian and impressionist, Joey Molinaro, who is an Indy native, mm-hmm. but is a Steelers fan. I need you to explain the genesis of that. Well, one, I like to win. <laughs> uh, two, um, two. Well, unless we're playing the Bills, as right, 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 yeah, yes, we'll get yeah, to that, right? Yeah. Uh, but two, really, my dad grew up in Indianapolis. Simple enough. Colts didn't get here until '84. Okay. Uh, who else you no rocking with the Steelers? Okay. Of course, the team of the '70s. There you go. So he passed it down to me. Gotcha. Now All you're right. with 33rd Team Podcast. How's that going? It's eight. It's got an eight-part series coming up. Give us a little insight yeah, into the podcast. That's right. Yeah, for those about to mock, and it's just a, a digital YouTube series. <laughs> all right, it's a play on a sketch that I did a couple of years ago. As we all know, this business loves mock drafts. We love to talk about it all year oh, round. Yeah. And so with 33rd Team, I'm doing uh, eight-part series, one guest a week, all things NFL draft, and uh, we look at different mocks, and we have some fun. So you kind of slip – I mean, if you're doing a mock draft, you're going to have to do – I'm imagining you're going to slip into your Mel Kuyper mode and it just is. go all out. And the thing that is that I have to ask, though – are you going all the way right to the widow's peak? Because that thing is <laughs> that thing is fierce. Like it shouldn't just be the voice. I think you got to go Dra- all in Dracula. for a segment of the eight-part mock. And Dr- yeah, Dracula is envious of that widow's peak. Oh, he is. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have the uh, makeup department that like a Caliendo or uh, somebody it's not like in the that budget. does. <laughs> not in the budget, right? You know, my wife's taking care of our six-month-old son, so she's. It's tough for her to balance that and then also get the peak down for me. But maybe you know they got those like Halloween uh, stores that come about in like August now. Maybe I'll go get one of those Dracula ones so I can just yeah. keep it with me all What is long. the key to to that? Because, yes, you want to match up the voice, but at the same time, he's, like, on speed when somebody's <laughs> asking him about a draft prospect. So you got to, like yeah. – you got to match the voice with the energy. Like you, you got to be like wired. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple things. So one with Kuiper, it's always you're looking into the camera and you have the delay that for whatever reason seems like it's about 15 seconds long. <laughs> and so he's sitting there and he's got the look. Right. I'll put my hat up. He's got the right. He's, he's listening and he's got the serious face where he's taking in the question. Right. And he's waiting to answer. And we're all like, "You there, Mel? What's going on?" And then he fires into yeah. it. Real he goes hard. from like zero to sixty and. Two seconds. Yeah, exactly. His his ten second split is great. You know what I mean? Like we're doing combine stuff, right? Right. We got. Well, let me ask you, uh, Mel Kiper. Uh, so we've got these. There's got people that think there's four first round quarterbacks. I know you have differing opinions from that. I want to know what Mel Kiper thinks of these four quarterbacks that may may all four go in the top ten. What do you think, Mel? Yeah, sure. Well, I think we're going to look at a guy like Bryce Young. He plays in the SEC for, for three years. Heisman Trophy winner, Nick Saban. We know what Nick Saban brings. We know the kind of program that he runs down there. I think when you're looking for a quarterback that you can put a face to your franchise kind of guy, you're looking at somebody like Bryce Young. Now, there are a few red flags, a few concerns. You look at his size, his stature. He's not going to be able to hold up in the NFL for very long, but when he does, I think it's going to be quite worth it. Yeah, that's yeah. 
that. He hangs on those words at the end, doesn't oh, yeah. he? Like, <laughs> guy. Oh, uh, yeah, he hangs yeah. On well, I'm concerned there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He absolutely. does. So now we got, so then we go to, and another thing that's happening here Bryce Young is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Uh, his head coach at uh, uh, Alabama, Nick Saban. It's always good for these scouts and guys to go in and see if they can get. And Nick Saban has a reputation for an unvarnished opinion about his guy. So, Coach Saban, what is your unvarnished opinion about your guy, Bryce Young? Well, to be honest with you, I'm already on the spring ball, and Bryce ain't in my program anymore. So if you want to talk about my team, you want to talk about the roster that I'm putting together right now, everybody thinks that we're just going to crap out another quarterback. I got a competition going on that I got to manage, and you're sitting here asking me about Bryce Young. All right? <laughs> yeah, he's – that's that good. Is, that is perfect. He's from, that's on he's brand. from West Virginia, but he's, like, adopted – an Alabama accent or something. He's like a one-of-one one dialect. He really is. You're oh, right yeah. because he he mixes the South with the West Virginia mountain kind of. It, it's, it's a very interesting dialect for him. It's pretty yeah. crazy. I mean, it's no. don't get me wrong. It's not like Coach Kelly down at LSU who all of a sudden became <laughs> Southern after he got hired. Southern. For an impre- yeah. impressionist like you, you see a guy like Coach Kelly yeah. go down to LSU and all of a sudden he's Southern. Like, if you did a Coach Kelly, you'd have to change on the fly there. Well, like, what so, the hell happened? Right. So that's I, – I, I've done a few sketches uh, that I've put out, and, and for anybody watching and listening, my YouTube channel or just, uh, you know, at Joey Molinaro on socials where you can go find them. But I, I didn't know what to do with, with Coach Kelly, and a lot of people were saying, oh, we got to get a save in Kelly, we got to get a save in Kelly. And so I just decided to go full in. This guy is full – southern cartoon character right like i i, I wasn't going right, to try right. to absolutely imitate him but now when i do you know a saban kelly i have saban but then i go full on i just call him southern brian kelly mm-hmm. and he's saying and he's saying oh well now we're gonna have ourselves some iced tea and watch some football and it's gonna be a grand time and then you're right so i'm like if i didn't if i can't you know if i didn't know what to do with it then it's like i'm just gonna full on go into the character everybody's making fun of and he's gonna be southern brian yeah kelly. i think yeah. that's a good way to sell it yeah all right so, uh, we know Chris Collinsworth is a major investor in pro football uh, focus, and, you know, he's kind of running that outfit or financially backing that. He's also still doing Sunday Night Football, but he's no longer with Al Michaels. He's now with Mike Tirico on Sunday Night Football, and we know he is passionately in love with Patrick Mahomes. How in love are you, Chris Collinsworth, with Patrick Mahomes? Well, it doesn't get much better than Patrick Mahomes, does it? I mean, you look at the guy, every throw he makes, everything he does in the pocket, whether it's one foot, two feet, sometimes I think he has three feet out there. The way he's playing ball, he's just so impressive. And everybody wants to cry about Tom Brady leaving the National Football League. I say, we got our next goat coming through. That's Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) I I can't tell you how much. Bills fans in Buffalo. Oh, I can imagine. Loathe oh, yeah. uh-huh. Chris Collinsworth uh-huh. and his fawning appreciation of Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> totally respects Mahomes. Yeah. But oh my God, Chris Collinsworth isn't gushing. He's like practically yeah, vomiting all over yeah, the booth. There's, no, there's hard. It's hard to find announcers who are down the middle on Pat Mahomes. Man, he, right. Bills fan and the Bills fans are very sensitive to it. Sure. So you know, anytime that they say something about Pat Mahomes, it's expected. they got to say something nice about Josh, Josh Allen, Allen, too, sure. yeah, or well, whatever else it is. Yeah, I, I've seen a few cut-ups, and it, it would be tough. It would be frustrating. Like, <laughs> I've seen the, the cut-ups where Mahomes will, you know, 
kind of scurry out of the pocket a little bit, throw an incomplete pass, and Collinsworth will be like, oh, see, there's just not many guys who can do that. And then, like, Josh <laughs> Allen throws, like, a 72-yard yeah. bomb on the money. Actually, there's another guy that does exactly that. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, he does that. <laughs> and then it's just like, you see, he kind of overthrew him there. He would have gave this guy a better shot. And you're like, you just raved about Mahomes. Yeah, yeah but uh, Chris, right. I mean, to me – I want to get out there. He's been great to me. He's he's super uh, complimentative and, and knows that I'm just doing it out of fun. But uh, I, I can see where the Bills fans would be frustrated. Yeah. Um, we know that the hometown Colts here, even though you're a Steelers fan, <laughs> yeah. uh, are in a mad search for a franchise quarterback because yeah. it's been revolving chair, revolving door since mm-hmm. Andrew Luck retired. Um, Andrew Luck, what what is Andrew Luck doing here these days? What? what <laughs> I mean, uh, why don't you tell us, Andrew, what have you been up to since uh, you stepped away from football? Um, uh, just enjoying being a dad. Uh, first and <laughs> foremost, having a lot of fun doing that. Uh, still love the game. I uh, would love to get involved in some sort of coaching or I uh, think maybe like a history teacher going back to school for that, maybe a high school football coach just for the love of the game instead of you know, going out getting uh, beat up by 350-pound guys uh, even though the money is nice. Uh, just for the love of the game, thinking I'm going to be a high school coach. I, I can't. Do you still remember what it was like when he just said, yeah, I'm done? Like, was there, like, riots in the streets here? I or? remember it very well. Because it, it happened was my, during a game, right? Yeah. Well, it was right at the end of the preseason, preseason I want to say. Yeah. Preseason game three, Chicago Bears are in town. I'm on my bachelor party <laughs> in Chicago Oh, with nothing but Colts fans. So we get this news. We're preparing to go out for the evening. You know, it's the second night of the bachelor party. We've been in regularly doing that all day, and then we're going to go have fun in the city. And then all of a sudden, my friends start freaking out, screaming. I'm like, what the heck happened? Who died? And then they show me the phone, and it's Schefter. And I said, well, there goes my bachelor party. And we <laughs> stayed in that night, and everybody was depressed. No, that's when you, that's when you flip we it and rally and turn it up more. It. Like, it was so- our life is over as Colts fans. <laughs> Let's just turn it up and forget about it for four hours I w- or six I was, hours. I, I, I was ready right. to go. Yeah, you're uh, a Steeler guy. What are those you guys right? got a rally. Come it, on, they got to be better than that. It, that was such. That was such a monumentally depressing, disappointing moment that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And not only am I a Steelers fan, so I was like, all right. But I was working for the indie radio station. It's right over there, actually, right now. They're the, the flagship station for the Colts. For the Colts, yeah. And so I was getting calls about, like, you know, because I was running digital stuff. So all this right. was going on at my bachelor party. I've been drinking all day. It was a nightmare. Wow. And so it, thanks, Andrew. I remember, too, <laughs> it's, it started coming. Schefter or somebody dropped it while the game was going on yes. late in the game. Yes. It's and still talked about here. People were booing him. Yeah. They were they were ticked. Yeah. And he, oh, that's he was in right. Uniform. He wasn't off the field He yet. was in uniform. No, he wasn't. He was still rehabbing, and so oh. it was like third game, that, but that – Everybody was like, oh, yeah, he, he had done on-field workouts the week before. So they're like, we're getting close. We're getting close. And then all of a sudden. Not close. Yeah. Not wow. Close. Furthest thing from Wow. Close. Yep. Uh, we do know that uh, Colin Cowherd is, you know, a national radio host. He's got uh, some interesting opinions, to say the least. Uh, he seems to kind of knock Buffalo uh, every chance he gets. I mean, he has respect for them and Coach McDermott and what they do. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of times where he will inflate the rankings of other teams. But, yeah. Colin, if you had to put your top five together of teams in the league heading into 2023, or maybe just give me a top three, where would you where would you go for top three teams, at least as how they look now going into 2023? Yeah, so I think it's funny. Uh, I think it starts with Kansas City. 
That's fair to say. You see them, uh, Mahomes, Reed, they're not going anywhere. All right? they're, they're, they're the top dog. They're the girl you want to take to the prom. Now you go down to number two. I think that's Joe Burrow. I think that's Cincinnati. Whether you want to talk about what they've invested in the offensive line, with the receivers, with the defense, you got Joe Burrow. He's the guy that yeah, maybe you want to start thinking about bringing to the prom. Third, I'm going to have to go Philadelphia. What they've been able to do, they're coming off a of Super Bowl appearance. They have an identity. You look at Buffalo. Buffalo is all relying on Josh Allen. If you're a family and you only have one income coming in, oh, sorry, all of a sudden you're not being able to bring that bread home, what's your family going to do? That's my problem with Buffalo right now. Too reliant on Josh Allen, don't have enough income coming in other places. Yeah, that's, that's what he does. That's exactly what he does. Yeah, And, and it chaps Bills fans to no end. This, oh, this is weird for me. I mean, because I mean, you guys got a stack. You got the quarterback of generation. You got a great coach. You got great fans. You got all these things. And I still feel like you guys are, sli- you know, I feel like you guys are still have this chip on your shoulder. You're feeling slighted everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. couldn't say that going into last season because they were everybody's Super Bowl favorite. Mm, that is true. So you couldn't say that last year. But even as the season wore on, like people were just taking their shots yeah, where they, they could. It's a team. We're, we're, we we talk about it all the time. It was a team that was going thirteen and three, and mm-hmm. and they were getting knocked for style points on victories. You know, yeah, you didn't yeah. win good enough. wasn't convincing enough. wasn't by right. more than one score. That kind of thing. And it's just something. I think every team that's on the rise, you know, they, the people look at look to poke holes in it. Sure. Uh, not only in this case, it was our own fans that were kind of like we were really? all like going, "Gosh, they were." Because there's always this hand wringing until you win the big sure, one, sure. right? That's like, "Oh, what's going to happen that that is going to keep us from." Winning the Super Bowl this year, yep. yeah, and it's it's kind of that angst that you. I, I think Steeler fans don't really understand that anymore. Yeah, but we're still living <laughs> in that yeah. life, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, we got a ways to get back up there. Uh, definitely, the three Pickett lost, looks good though. Last four games we played Buffalo, it makes me want to freaking jam my head through. A, yeah, but you know, Pickett came grinder. a long way last season. He did. At the end of the season, I feel good. Kenny's a friend of mine, um, you know, so I'm not gonna, you know, I believe in him, and, and I'm ready yeah. to see him continue to thrive. But yeah, Buffalo playing you guys just—I don't even want to watch the games. It well, it was sucks. an ugly one last year for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> you what know, was that thirty-eight, 38 to three. Yeah, it was the that was a it was the that was a turn it off when it turned. Yeah. Turned, it's the, that 98 yarder that went in, and all of a sudden it third was like, and ten wow. at the two yard line. Like, okay, this is a start of yeah, a good okay. thing. Got a little good going. <laughs> no more good thing. Yeah, yeah. over tw- awesome one stuff. one minute into it. Yeah. Joey, great having you, man. Really yeah. appreciate. Lay it. out, lay for out for on. us real quick because I know you've got uh, the series coming up on the 3013. Yeah, the first episodes with former Colts head coach Chuck Pagano. Yes. Do you know who's coming up in? future episodes here yeah uh so uh matt miller from espn okay uh, popular draft analyst you know knows a lot of the stuff the ins and outs he's going to be the second guest uh but that's on 30 the on their youtube channel where all those are living and then in different social clips so on my social channels joey molinaro uh you can find that there uh but yeah guys i appreciate this that's a lot of m-u-l fun. that's how you M-U-L-I-N-A-R-O. spell it m-u-l-i-n-a-r-o you can find me there everywhere at joey molinaro and good luck to you guys uh, this man. upcoming year yeah, yeah. yeah. thanks, thanks for the time i think I like Kuiper and Saban the best, just okay. for the record. Good. Those, those were really <laughs> good. Thank you. All right, that's Joey Molinaro joining us here on One Bills Live. We'll take a break. Be back with more live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. It's One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Here we are, NFL Combine, Indianapolis, Indiana. 
Chris Brown, Steve Tasker slipped into a little Keith Jackson there. All the impressions from Joey Molinaro yeah, decided to great. participate as well. <laughs> you do a better Keith Jackson than I do. Um, not today. Not today, though. Okay, not fair today. enough. Not after Joey Molinaro That's right. pulled off Nick That's, Saban. Isn't that one of the best Kuipers you've ever heard? Mel Kuiper, his Mel Kuiper is spot on. It's, it's pretty spot good. On. He did a good job. Uh, we wanted to get into the NFLPA team report cards that came out late yesterday where every team in the league was graded by the players on those teams in a number of different categories, including treatment of families, team nutrition, weight room, strength staff, training room, training staff, and then, hold on, i got to get to the end of the column here because it doesn't Travel, go all the way. Travel, I think. Travel and locker room. And the Bills overall in the entire league had a cumulative grade that put them ninth overall in the league. Mm-hmm. Some of their best grades were with the weight room and, tr- and strength staff, A+. Plus. Training staff, A. Uh, locker room, A-. Minus, and training room, B+. Plus. So those were some of their... Better grades. Yeah, training room, training staff, weight room were all A pluses, uh, and their strength staff was also A plus. That was they also got an stuff. A minus for treatment of families. So some pretty favorable grades for Buffalo on the whole. I forgot. Um, I forgot about all the stuff that goes on with the players and all. That. Yeah, that's. Yeah. It's an interesting poll that the NFLPA would pull off here, and I know that families and the way they're treated are really important to the players because, you know, on game day you go out, you show up at that game, and you've got all this stuff going on. I'm, and a lot of players, I was like this too. I, I was always – so my wife dragging all the kids to the game. I never felt really comfortable out there getting ready, particularly on home games, never really felt comfortable until I laid eyes on my family that were there. I needed to know that. I could just there. focus on the game. Yeah, then I could focus on the game until that time, because you know, I mean, it's it's a you know it's a festival out the outside. You know, you got your kids there. You know, somebody you know your kid falls down or cracks his head or something in the parking lot. Then you don't find out until after. You know what I mean? I hear you. So you need to lay eyes on your family, and your ability to do that was somewhat incumbent on the on the the way that they were handled by the club. Plus, if it was January, December, January, February. They couldn't stay. They couldn't hang in out there all that time. So you need to have a room where the moms could go in, and all the young moms could go in and, and sit with the kids and get warm. All that stuff's important to the players, and and that's just that's not important. That's not even the football stuff that's really important. Yeah, the team that finished dead last in the league with NFLPA report cards by the players. Do you want to give it a guess? No. No. The Who Washington is? Commanders. Oh. Finished 32nd. They got an F for the treatment of families. (laughs) I'm sorry. D-plus for food service and nutrition. C-plus for weight room. A-plus for the strength coaches. F-minus for a training room. Is F-minus? I didn't even know that was a grade. Like, you're almost almost at a G there with an F-minus. F-minus means you're like, not only are you not trying... You're, that means you're failing spectacularly. <laughs> that means you're like making an effort to make it bad. You're like F minus. You're like Steve. trying. To, they got three F minuses. Yeah, I know. So I yeah. Let me finish here. F minus in training room. The training staff got a D. Locker room F minus. Team travel F minus. 
Yeah. Yeah, you got to be. You're like working at it. You got to like, try hard to be that bad. It, yes, it, ex- that is exactly right. You have to put effort in <laughs> to being bad to be that bad. Thirty first. That has to be all your. That has to be your motivation to yes. be that bad. The thing that's interesting is the Washington Commanders had four Fs among eight total grades, but they were outdone in number of Fs by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Arizona Cardinals' cumulative grade was 31st because they had an A for their strength coaches, but they had five Fs out of eight. Five Fs! F in treatment of families, F-minus in food service and nutrition, F-minus in weight room, F-minus in training room, F in locker room. Their training staff and team travel got a B plus. So I looked at some of the write-ups. Like, they don't have a family box for players' families to sit in for games. They said they've actually, players said that their spouses actually had to go nurse their babies or breastfeed. In public bathroom. In a public bathroom. Yeah. That's terrible. It is very bad. It's very bad. And, I mean, I, and I'll say that, and I, it goes, we've said it, you know, all these, the 32 teams, we all think of them the same. They're all not the same. They are not the same. No. And, you know, this, you know, this is testament to it. Um, right. And I, and I think the biggest thing that you can draw from this with respect to the Bills is I, I think we always knew that the Bills organization treats the families very well, so it's not surprising to see them with an A-minus grade there. Um, but you think about the $18 million vest investment that the Pagool has made in their training center, and there it is. Weight room, A-plus. Strength coaches, A-plus. Training staff, A. And let's not forget this. The Pagool has used their own money to redo and and redesign the locker room, which also got an A-minus. So... Right. Their investment in the team is is well recognized and appreciated, yeah. I think, based on these grades from the players. We have said too, and they, and they do a write up too. And one of the things they said, listen, they got the training staff, the training room, uh, the PTs, and the ATCs. The only way they can make it better is to have more of them, you know. And right, but they even said they feel they have enough yeah. on hand to accommodate yeah. everybody. So it's. It's uh, that was one of the things that went under the radar. Yeah, it was a big shiny new building and all the wait staff and it looks cool and they use it for a number of things. We you know we walk in and out of there all day and they're 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 using it for a ton of stuff, and it's a really versatile facility. But it's the people in you know, it's like every business. The people inside of it make it better. The staffing, the coaches, the trainers, the the PTs, uh, all those. The people are what make it uh, make it the best, and that's that's what has been, I think, the most significant change in the new facilities in Buffalo has been their willingness to staff it with quality people. Yeah, no question about it. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, hour number two will begin with former NFL front office executive, current NFL network analyst, and executive vice president of football operations of the XFL, Mark Ross, going to join us. We're going to pose him the question, if you're a GM now, how do you handle in this Jalen Carter situation? He's coming up next.
One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker at the NFL Combine in Indy. Pleased to be joined now by NFL Network Analyst and Executive Vice President of Football Ops for the XFL. It is Mark Ross joining us. Always good to see you, Mark. Thanks for uh, spending some time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Once a bill, always a bill. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. You guys. So we've got a situation that happened here earlier this week that is pretty seismic in nature. A guy that's considered to be the top prospect in the draft by many people, Jalen Carter, has a major off-the-field situation that happened after he interviewed with just about everybody mm. in the league that he met with here at the NFL Combine. From a front office executive perch, which is a place where you sat for many years, how do you handle this now in terms of doing proper due diligence after the incident? Yeah, every team in the top ten is going to have Jalen Carter at their facility. They're going to be at Georgia's Pro Day. They're going to have every person psychologists security everything you're just going to dig deep into finding out as much as possible you're trying to match what he told you already with what he's going to tell you from now on about the incident and other incidents incidents so that's the big thing where you just have to dive in as much as possible the teams that there's going to look let's be honest there's going to be teams that don't care and they're just going to justify taking him that's really what you're trying to do if you're at this point want to take Jalen Carter you're just justifying to say, I've done as much work as possible to make sure that this young man is who we want him to be. And this is the problem. I've said it on our show. He's a human being, so he's done some wonderfully selfless, great things mm-hmm. as a human being. Like, for instance, the well-publicized story of him buying lunch for one of his teammates no who wasn't on scholarship. Great kid, great gestures, selfless. Yep. And then, of course, the other things where he makes some stupid mistakes as a, as a 22-year-old kid. It's a balance, it's, and you, you can't expect the guy to be – uh, you know, Gandhi. Clean. Well, yes. can't be, he's not Gandhi, but <laughs> Yeah, well, here's still. the thing that happens. It's the problem. It's like one thing shouldn't just define a person, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Right. People are, are have multifaceted personalities and things that they can do. You can do great in a charity and then do other things that aren't great, uh-huh. and that can be all part of one person. Um, so that's what Jalen Carter is, is what these teams are going to dig into, what information they already had leading up to this point what they got out of the combine, and now post, put that all together and say, okay, we feel comfortable with this young man. We have a receiver class that by many accounts is lacking in true alpha males, number one plug-and-play kind of guys that we've seen the past several years. How does that change the approach of general managers? Because if you're drafting in round one and – you know, there are receivers that are borderline with that grade. Maybe at the maybe they're a late one, early two, but they lack elite physical traits, which we see a lot of GMs lean towards in the early rounds. How do you square that when you have somebody like a Zay Flowers, for example, who's 5'9", 182, and, you know, can run all over the place, but he's 5'9", 182. He's lacking some mm-hmm. elite physical traits that you often see come off the board early. How do you square that as a general manager? This is where you have to stick with what your evaluations were as far as the true value of the player and what they can and cannot do and not get desperate and overvalue players because you may need that position or because the supply and demand, the the supply is not there, so we're going to demand it even higher. You have to say, these guys are second-round picks. Let's not put them in the first round just because we think we need a receiver and we're desperate for a receiver. Now, you may see some teams do You're going to see teams do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you'll, the better teams, though, stick with, hey, this is what this guy's true value is. We're going to take him at the right time for what that dictates. 
and not put them somewhere they shouldn't yeah, be. Need need is a terrible evaluator. Brian Billick said that with the Baltimore so many years ago. If yep. you need a player, it doesn't make him better. No question. It, it, you might be stuck with taking him, though, and that's where these teams find themselves in this. It's And plus, and how does a front office on a draft day in a room, you've got a really good guard or a really good yep. safety or a great wide receiver and a really great corner. Different. Compare apples so, to apples, apples no, to oranges, so how important. At that point, all the meetings that you've had with your coaching staff, with your scouts, all of there, you should know draft day who, when you're valuing them, your board should be set up to see in their same bucket. So you're not completely out of whack. Now, I've been part of the best picks where we stick to the board and we stick to the guys, and I've been a part of some bad picks too where we thought we needed a player and we got desperate and we skipped over players that we had on a higher right. on the board and went to another position that we thought we really needed. And they turned out to be disasters. So, right. And every team has those stories. Not Every team is not 100% on their picks. Every team has their stories where, yes, you talk about it ad nauseum leading up. We're going to stick to the board, stick to the board, stick to the board. Then you get there on draft night, and you're looking at it, and you're talking yourself out of what you should and shouldn't do, and you make mistakes when you yeah. do that. The tight end class is getting an awful lot of hype. Some are saying it's the best group in a decade at that position. We've seen that position kind of morph and change as this has become more of a passing league. Um, I think the teams that still want a tight end that can keep a defense guessing in terms of what's coming is preferred over a Mike Kosicki type. He's a receiver. Like, you know what I mean? So are there enough of those multifaceted guys in this class, or are we strictly just talking more often than not with this group pass catchers who are going to be a nice where a nice place to pivot if maybe the receiver value isn't there because you got a tight end that can help you almost as much yeah I think when you see the Kelsey and he's going to be the standard right now right. what he does and that's what everyone wants hey does Kelsey need to get in there and dig somebody out <laughs> third and one no stand him on the sideline let's just have him catch 10 balls I think teams would still prefer that these athletic guys that can make big plays for you and this draft class as you mentioned Dalton Kincaid I think he's phenomenal yeah but he gives you a little bit of that blocking too uh so yeah ideally you want the mismatches and you want guys especially if you got receivers and now hey now this guy works the middle and we put them in different places that's what you want Uh, if there's a guy I don't don't see one in this class that is just phenomenal at doing everything that's just a rare rare breed anymore is there a guy in this class that plays like a Saquon Barkley who is supremely gifted at his position, but the position is devalued a little bit. Uh, or like a middle linebacker who could be a general, like a Luke Keekley type or, yeah. you know, Mike Singletary type guy who's a, a transformative player, but at a position that is, is kind of hard to value. Well, the, uh, the running back and position. How do you handle yeah, it, the yeah. running back position now has been devalued, but I think the Alabama uh, gives this phenomenal. I love his skill set. The Alvin Kamara comparisons are real. I mean, he, I, I never like to do that with players. Right. But when you watch him, it's like, gosh, yes, he does kind of play like Kamara, just his slickness and his hands and the way he just his balance. So, but where is the value of running backs now? Is it top 10? Is it top 15? Is it second round? And, you know, you look at what the Chiefs did, just throwing Pacheco in there, a late round right. pick. Like, well, let's just get a guy like that. So, yeah, I think depending on where your team is and what your other needs are and how strong you are at certain positions, then you can kind of take some of those undervalued positions. We've seen the Chiefs have to pivot and put a lot more young players on the field as Patrick Mahomes' contract gobbles up more and more of the cap now that you're into like year four of his extension, year three, year four. 
the Bills are kind of not far behind in that area. And we saw the Chiefs do it with great success last year. Jalen Watson, um, Josh Williams, Trent McDuffie, Pacheco, as you mentioned, even Sky Moore. Yep. They had like five rookies on the field playing a lot of snaps. No question. And by the end of the season, they were making major contributions. Look at the Super Bowl alone. All of them flashed. Are the Bills in a position now with their cap kind of getting more and more cost prohibitive where they're going to have to maybe bend a little and put younger players on the field sooner playing larger roles? No question. That's just the natural progression of – Look, you get a quarterback, you hit on them, so you got to pay them. That's a good, that's good and yeah. bad. But you got to do it. But with the Chiefs, and everyone will say, let's replicate what they did. But okay, they hit on those guys. Yeah. So you got the young yeah. guys. You can't just throw them out there and they're bums. Man, those guys were players, and they're clear to see that those guys are players when you watch the Chiefs play. And the better Mahomes is, the better he makes everyone else. And that's what the Bills are hoping with Josh Allen that he's got to make those guys better as well while the team develops and grows. If these guys do turn into players. And that's incumbent on your scouting staff to, we got to hit on these guys. We got to identify them correctly, and we got to make sure that they're right. And your coaching staff to develop them once they get there and have that confidence and continuity together to say, this is the plan now. We have to do this. We all have to be on the same page with how we're building this team. So we're, we're here at the Combine, and it's all about these young players coming out of college. But before they any of these teams get to the draft, you got to go through free agency. And the philosophy prevailing for, philosophy for teams is, fill all the holes you can with free agents so you can take the best pro that's going to come out on that draft. When that guy's out yep. there, he's going to have the best pro career. That's the guy we take, whether it's a running back yep. or wide out, of whatever. Um, how do you so – every team's got 31 different cap problems and mm -hmm. spots on the yep. cap. So, <laughs> yeah. so for a team like the Bills, they've still got to do some work to get under. There's no question they've got to have a menu of free agents they want to grab. I mean, what's your timeline for these clubs of getting there – posturing for the obviously it's draft day you yeah. got to get there but free agency starts middle of march yeah they, they've been meeting and meeting for weeks and all year of their pro scouts evaluating evaluating the free agent class coming up so this has been a year's worth of progress and work that they're putting into right now they should kind of have an idea of what they're doing they know what their plan is all right how do we implement the plan what sacrifices do we have to make uh who who can we sacrifice on the team now to go get someone else what's the upgrade that's the, the again. You talk about the philosophy that everyone has to be on the same page and game planning, just like coaches game plan for a game. The behind the scenes, the front office's game plan for free agency and game plan for the draft and game plan for your team once that hits the field when minicamp starts. How much pressure does a team put itself under to say hey, we we've got to get at least two guards in this free agent class because we you know what I mean? Yeah. That, How much that, pressure do you feel? Well, you you. You prioritize the guys, but just like the draft where you can't overvalue, same thing with free agency where you can't get in the bidding wars or get desperate. Right. You had a guy at a certain number, and now you know these two other teams are after him, and we think we need him, and oh, man, you're going back and forth, right. and you throw out where you put that, set that number, you say this is it, and get, and get out of the bidding. So, uh, you know, identifying the talent and sticking with it, uh, and, and all teams are different. As you mentioned, everyone's salary cap is different, so everyone can't have the same philosophy, and everyone right. wants everyone to have it. You can't. Every, all 32 team circumstances are different, so you have to sort of approach that differently from each team. But as long as you have that conviction and that the program, your game plan together as a team, that's when the success happens. Last one uh, we've got for you because we know you've got to move along. We've gotten this far, and we haven't even talked about quarterbacks at the top and the teams that need one. They're all sitting there in the top ten. Could we see a wild 
yeah. top ten with a lot of movement up and down the board here because of how desperate some of these teams are. I think, and we've, of course, talked about all the quarterbacks and their true value and what they are and what you may or may not think about these top five guys. But teams see that's what you need, and teams are going to get desperate. And you can essentially look at eight teams in the top ten and say – Eight teams need them for very some complete desperation. Some have an older quarterback that they want to get better and develop, right, right. but they all have different circumstances. Like eight teams are besides Philly, and I love Chicago. I love Justin Fields, so that's not a conversation for me. But all eight other teams there, for different reasons, are going to could get desperate for wow. a guy. So that could be it. Could be like crazy. It could, it could. And and how do you real quick? How as the team like Chicago? Like we know, they're playing one against another oh, to try to to try to <laughs> right. milk as much as they oh, can yeah. out. Oh, yeah. But that's a dangerous game. Like, how far do you push that, and how much do relationships matter with who there you're you talking go. to? There also, you go. I get asked that question so much. How do you know? It's relationships, and it's who you trust, and you got to have whoever your staff is, your cap guy, tight with the agents. You just have to know the landscape and and know the people that you can trust, and getting the the real intel on what the market is and what teams are giving up for, for guys. and But Chicago's got they, – they got to be feeling good about where they are right yeah. now. But what are the chances that Chicago trades twice? Like flips it, it, out it, it, and from one to two and then, and then two to else. six and then two – whatever. Yeah, it, it's, it's possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. <laughs> it's got to be the right offers. But, again, their position that they're in is amazing, and they need a ton, a ton of talent. So, I think the more picks that Chicago can get to build around Justin, the better. Yeah. Mark, thanks for the time. Always good to see you. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for setting us straight. That's going to be wild top ten. I really think it's going to be nuts. Let's build it up. Let's build the hype up, too. we got to do that. That is NFL Network analyst Mark Ross, also busy in the XFL as executive VP of Football Ops. We'll take a break here. Be back with much more on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. A Thursday edition of One Bills Live. Joined now by CBS Sports draft analyst Chris Trapasso making a return appearance. Good to have you back, Chris. We uh, talked receivers the other day. Now we're going to talk O-linemen, another perceived major need for the Bills with up to about four or five free agents Mm -hmm. on Buffalo's offensive line contingent this offseason, you know they're not all coming back, and who knows, they may be looking for some upgrades in free agency, but I think we all think they're going to probably make a move in free agency and also in the draft. You're here for the draft prospects. As far as the end of round one, if the value's good, names that we've seen pop up, Osiris Torrance, the Florida kid who transferred from Louisiana, and then a, a kid that's been gaining steam uh, we had Daniel Jeremiah on the other day. He couldn't say enough good things about Steve Avila from mm. TCU. Why don't you right. dice those two guys up for us first? So those two guard prospects are about as close as you're going to get to being what I call NFL strong, where a lot of times blockers come in, they have great film, they're athletic, but it takes them like a year or two to just get that NFL caliber strength. Osiris Torrance is going to be one of the biggest guards here. Uh, he's a masher, and, and to go from Louisiana to Florida and still play really well. I think that was really impressive. Steve Avila, I think, can play more center if you want him to in a pinch. He's a little bit more athletic, but also his anchoring ability is outstanding. Both of those guys played over 2,000 snaps in college. So 
They're very experienced. And, again, from the strength perspective, they're going to tick those boxes. Yeah, and it, looking at the, at the way they're stacked and where they're separated and kind of mixed together, offensive guards, offensive tackles, centers, guard centers, yep. guard tackles. I, Osiris Torrance may be the best guard prospect in this Pure draft. Pure guard, yeah. Yeah, he's a 6'5", 337-pound He's a kid. monster. He's a monster. Um, Avila seems he's not that big, but there are other guys as well who might give you a little more versatility. A guy like Cody Mock out of um, uh, uh, Boise. Uh, uh, no, I'm North sorry, Dakota, uh, North Dakota yes. State. Yep. Uh, you've got uh, the kid Tipman out of Wisconsin. You've got guys who can play guard and center, but they're and they're also you know big dudes as well. Well, how do you separate, and what do you think the value is on a guy that you know Cyrus Torrance is a guard? Slash, slash guard. Yeah. <laughs> not no a position not a, flex. Right, mm-hmm. not a center slash guard or a tackle slash guard. Well, I think in general there's obviously more value when you can play multiple positions. And Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have preached that versatility. They bring in guys like John Feliciano a few years ago that played center, could play guard. They are very outward about that, that they want those interior linemen that are comfortable playing multiple positions. You just outlined a bunch that – can play multiple spots. So with Torrance, I think uh, that would be maybe a little bit of a deterrent or something that won't necessarily lower his stock, but if we're looking at it, of course, through a Bills perspective, they would maybe push him down a little bit because you draft him, he's playing guard. He's not playing tackle. It's not a Cody Ford situation. He's playing guard, and that's it. What it does mean, though, is the Bills, if they're going to take a guy like Osiris Torrance, they will have already filled a backup center role or – yeah, you know what true. I'm saying? They're going to have to have that gap filled right. by another guy, mm-hmm. so they got to put that into the mix. It may push Osiris Torrance, if they got a guy they like who can do both, it may push somebody else just past him, even though he's a dominant guard. He could be, this guy could be a Pro Bowl, All-Pro kind of guard. Yeah. But it may push him down because they got to cover their, cover their bases and make sure they have all five guys backed up. Mm-hmm. I, I think Avila is a better move player too than, than Torrance. Torrance is kind of a anchor down and pass protection guy or drive you off the line yeah. run guy, right? Great. He's not getting out and He's pulling on a pull play, you know, on a pin and pull scheme or even on a screen. Great He's quarterback not, sneak guard. Well yeah. no, but yeah. a lot's yeah. been a lot's been made about Torrance's flat feet. Like mm-hmm. he's you know, and people are like, really? We're looking at guys Yes, they look at this. And you know, he's got no arches on his feet. He's flat from heel to toe. And it, that affects movement skills. Yeah, but it's also like trying to push a stump out of the ground. Well, yes. I mean, it's hard. And, you know, the guy can't uprooting get him is impossible. Right. But in ter- if you want to, if this team wants, to, and maybe they don't because they run the RPO game so much, maybe they don't care about whether a right. guy can execute a screen or not in Buffalo. But if they do or they value some kind of movement skills, it's probably Avila over him, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And I think unless we see Steve Avila test through the roof, which I don't think he's going to be amazingly athletic here in Indy, kind of feels like he's more of a round two guy or if just everything goes against what the Bills want in round one and all the receivers are gone it would be more of a round two type selection because he doesn't have quite the same power or I think upside of Osiris Torrance but you're right he definitely moves better I don't want to oversimplify but you know that we've seen the Bills and guys that they draft are have some traits yeah, you know, they're six five sure. plus. You know, you got Spencer Brown who's six seven. There's a guy in Washington, this kid Jason Kirkland, who's three hundred and twenty plus pounds, but he's six seven. But he does play guard. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy like that with that kind of length, you'd think maybe he's guard slash tackle. If if you give him up time, if he plays a year at guard and and works on it, then all of a sudden, well, okay, in a pinch, he can finish at tackle. That kind of thing. I, to me, 
that kind of stuff rings just like having a guy with flexibility rings for the Bills philosophy yeah. more so over a, maybe moves Osiris Torrance down. It could move a guy like Jason Kirkland, who's a guard, but he's a six-seven guard up. Yeah. And he actually played tackle uh, a few years ago at Washington. Had an injury. He actually, I, I think, like retired from football and then came back and was really good this past season playing guard. I think he kind of knew he's one of those players that understood his future was at guard at the next level. And if the Bills kind of have a maybe a sneaky need at offensive tackle, the right tackle spot, that's where Kirkland ultimately or, or, or first played at Washington and became that on the draft radar prospect. I, I think. They are going to bring in some competition for Spencer Brown. Yeah, that's yeah. just the way McDermott and Bean operate. Right. If your play is a little inconsistent, they're going to they're going to light a fire under you by bringing somebody else in to compete with you, you for that job. Right. What about the left guard at USC, Jersey number seventy two? Voorhees, uh, this is a kid that likes uprooting and finishing people. Yeah. Like I watched his tape, and the first thing that, well, the two things I like about him best, and you tell me how you feel, Chris. Matches his feet with his hands really well. Mm-hmm. Like his feet never stop moving once he's got a guy on skates. And then that's not enough for him. He wants to throw the guy into the ground. That's appealing to any football coach that coaches offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, I think a lot of offensive line coaches are going to be banging the table for Andrew Voorhees. When I said earlier that there was two guys that played over 3,000 snaps, I was actually thinking of Andrew Voorhees, five-year starter at USC. And I think what bodes well for the Bills is with the uh, – COVID year, a lot of these guys stayed an extra year when they're not going to maybe have as much upside coming in at 21 or 22 years old. Like I mentioned earlier, they have better strength. They've had that extra year in a program. They come in better. They come in better. They come in bigger. They come in stronger. They have more experience. And I think most offensive line coaches would say, like, yeah, these guys need more experience. You're right about Voorhees. He's an absolute masher. Um, Not a crazy athlete, but he really feels like that high floor player where you could plug him in, and maybe you're not getting a pro bowler right away, but you're not getting a liability in year one. Where are they projecting him about? Like, where where do you see the common range for him? Day two? Second or or third round for him because, again, Offensive line coaches are going to love him, and his floor is extremely high as an older prospect that has played over the 3,000 The thing about it, snaps. too, is on your offensive line, and the Bills are notorious for this, and John Feliciano, the guy who's now with the Giants last year, was a perfect example. they got to have somebody who is willing to be the point of the spear mm. and be some, have some grit on the field. Enforcer. So when a team gets chippy, you have guys who, mm-hmm. are, who are looking for that. That's uh, Voorhees. Not just, not just tolerating it, but like, yeah, yeah, let's go kind of guys. And Voorhees seems like he might be one of those guys. He is. He definitely is. And I think he's been like that for multiple seasons. Had we not had the craziness with uh, COVID, he probably would have entered the draft last year. So he came back um, and built on an already strong draft resume. So, again, that just shows kind of where the value is at offensive tackle. We'll see or, or offensive line. We'll see these guys go in the first round, but littered throughout the entire NFL, second, third, fourth round picks that instantly come in as starters. I mean, Deion Dawkins was a second round pick, um, and you can be a quality player. Mitch Morse was a day three selection. You can get those good players that are high floor guys that can ultimately grow into being quality starters without picking them in the first round. All right, let's talk about a couple of centers here because, again, the position flex question. The Bills have an entrenched starter in Mitch Morse at the center spot, but... If you can draft a center who can also play guard for you now, and then maybe he's your center of the future, what do we think about Minnesota's John Michael Schmitz and Michigan's Olasegan Olawatimi? I was practicing that this yeah, morning. Yeah, good job. Uh, that's, <laughs> that was perfect. 
John Michael Schmitz gives you more flexibility. Um, Oluwatimi is more of that stationary phone booth blocker at okay. center. Very powerful. I actually love him as just a, a classic center because he's never on the ground. His balance is unbelievable. So if you have a big, if you're going against a big nose tackle in a given week, this guy can handle That's it. That's him. Had he been on the Bills when they were facing Vince Wilfork, he would have been the perfect center. Taking nothing away from Eric Wood, obviously okay. did a pretty good job. Um, that's the type of player that Olawatimi is. John Michael Schmitz, another one, crazy experience. I've, I've said this a lot that this interior offensive line class is about as good as it's been in the last five to seven years because the COVID year, a lot of these guys stayed. John Michael Schmitz is in extremely experienced and a pretty good blend of power and mobility that we were talking about earlier. So I think in a pinch or maybe early in his career as Mitch Morse is near the end, he could play guard and ultimately be your center of the future. Kind of like when Jeff Hangardner was here and right. Eric Wood started at guard and then yeah, kind of right. moved his way over to that yeah, position. Yeah, you, you get these guys in here, and some of the names, when you start talking about interior offensive linemen, the names that keep coming up because of their flexibility are guys like Steve Avila. He's like 330-plus, and he can play both those spots, or all three of those spots, right guard, left guard, center. Yep. And he's big and can anchor and has all that other stuff. So, that you know, that's why, to me, certainly there are guys who can play one or the other better than Avila could play. But, man, oh, man, you get a guy that can plug into any of those spots, and all of a sudden you're not quite so desperate to get a, a specific guy. And it's huge because in today's NFL, I mean, the Bills have certainly seen this over the last couple of years. It's kind of a war of attrition along the offensive right. line, and suddenly you're in a big divisional matchup and you don't have your starting right guard, but you need to plug in your, your backup center, who's a rookie, into right guard. And you don't need those players in maybe their secondary role to be amazing. They just can't be the, the, the weak well, link on the offense. Look at the, look at the Cincinnati Bengals. They're rolling in there with their, bas- their last three tackles on the roster yep. into the playoffs. And they were good enough. And Good yep. enough. Um, you know, ultimately they didn't get there, but you know the Chiefs were able to get them. But that's the kind of thing you're looking at. Yep. Last exactly. one for me: the kid down the throughway from us, Matthew Bergeron. Some think he's good enough to stay at tackle, but other people say, "Hey, he can also transition to guard." So there's some position flex that I would think would be attractive to Buffalo as well. Almost a kill two birds with one stone kind of player, because if you want competition for Spencer Brown, you got Bergeron who has tackle experience, and if you want to fill the hole at left guard with a young player that you can grow into and he can give you continuity for the next four years if he's good enough to start there. What do you think of Bergeron? Yeah, so he's really fascinating because, I mean, I think you're spot on that he can play tackle or guard at the next level, um, that he kind of fits what the Bills have liked with the, that traits type of player, Okay, that I think he's going to be one of the more athletic tackles. And then yeah, if you, feet, I like his feet a lot. He's got really light feet, and he's a little bit inconsistent, I think, like, in my scouting report, I've written that he has some wins on film that look like first-round caliber. His losses look like undrafted free agent, where he's right. off balance, uh, can't find that blocker or, or that linebacker at the second level. Um, but the Bills have really leaned toward, hey, we believe in our ability to develop these players. A Gregory Rousseau was not a finished product in the trenches when he entered the NFL. That kind of feels like Matthew uh, Bergeron, it, probably in the second round. It also sounds like guard may be the best place for him to start because you, you don't want an inconsistent player out well, on the edge yeah. Yeah. who flashes ability, 
but then might get your quarterback killed. Yeah, you know the problem I mean? with offensive linemen is when you get out of tackle, there's too much space for yeah. some of these guys to handle one guy in or or look keeping their eyes up. When you get them down inside a guard, there's less space and yep. less. There's a greater margin for error within what you're trying to do because yeah. you've got a guy here, you got a guy on both sides of you, and there's just not enough space to lose the guy as much. The one thing I'll say about Bergeron, if you watch Syracuse film. They left him on an island a lot. I think they were very trustworthy of his athleticism. It wasn't always what worked out for the offense, but a lot of these offensive tackles, there's play action, there's RPOs, there's chips from a tight end, there's the left guard helping them. They really had faith in Bergeron to be that on-an-island tackle, which is actually pretty rare to see in the pre-draft process. Chris, thanks for all the updates on the receiver class, the O-line class. We all feel smarter because of it. Uh, Safe (laughs) travels. Uh, Back to Western New York, man. You're taking off today, right? Yes. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. That's Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports Draft Analyst with us. We'll take a break. Be back with plenty more here from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. It's One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are wrapping up another busy day at the NFL Combine, Steve. And what better way to do it than with a little rendition of NFL True False, presented as always by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with True False question number one, Steve. What is it? The Ravens should trade quarterback Lamar Jackson. Not this year. No? They should franchise him. No, they should. They should restricted franchise him. What's the name of that? Non-exclusive. Non-exclusive franchise him. Pay him thirty-two million unless somebody jumps up and pays him that, and then get two ones in return for him. When you don't match the deal. So eventually, you are trading him in your scenario, right? No, not eventually. Not necessarily. I would also franchise him next. I'd franchise him and franchise him again next year. All right, so... I'd, French, I'd play it all the way out until the end. I would never guarantee him the big money contract. I'd always light the fire under him, and then at the end of that, let him go. Okay. Draft Franchise his, him two years. Draft his draft replacement. Draft his replacement. So you're saying false. Okay. Um, I might trade him. I yeah, might, I mean, I might do it. I'll listen. I will franchise him, much like you, which we're all expecting, because the deadline for you the tag is next Tuesday. You exclusively franchise him, not non-exclusive. Non-exclusive, yeah. You because would. I think you want to leave the door open. Yeah. Because you don't know. Somebody might pick up the phone and call you and say, Plus, hey, I'll give you two ones, and I'll give you two twos. Right. I get it. Just because let us negotiate with Lamar that, on a new deal. Not only that, he's only instead of making $43 million, he's making $32 million. Yeah. Um. I would trade him if I can't get anywhere with him. I mean, what's the point of trying to hold, like, it's like, what is, what's that line that Tomlin says? We want soldiers, not hostages? Right. Want guy, volunteers. Want we want volunteers. volunteers, not hostages. Yes. If you, if you can't get the guy to talk turkey with you and you're too far apart, yeah, I mean, is Lamar a super talent? Yes, he is. I think there are limits to his game. He still can't throw outside the numbers with any kind of regularity or consistency. Um, we've heard some interesting things about how he prepares for games here this week from some people in the uh, know. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna get into that because that it's could hearsay. Be, that could be sour grapes. That it's could hearsay. be that could be poisoning the water. Yeah, I get it. Um, 
<laughs> Who poisoned the water hole? I don't know why I'm Somebody channeling that. Somebody poisoned the water hole. That's right. There's a snake in my boot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I would be open to trading him. I Is he a top 10 quarterback in this league? Yes. Is he a top six quarterback in this league? No. Yeah, no. I don't think he is. So... Now, go find me somebody as good or better. Yes, that's a difficult thing, which is probably why the Ravens are waiting until the 11th hour to try to strike a deal with him. But, yeah, I would trade him. I say true. All right, so NFL true-false number two. The new Pro Bowl format will be here to stay. That's true. Flag football. Um, Skills challenge. Rock'em, sock'em robots. What else did they play out there? Dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> Cornhole. There's five important rules to dodgeball. You must dip. Duck, dive, dodge, and dodge. Did he say dodge twice? He did. Um, <laughs> do you remember that from Dodgeball? I, I missed that movie. I, re- I could watch that over and over. Um, yes, it, that, that format's here to stay. They ain't going back. I, I went back. Somebody tweeted the highlights, like a 15-minute video, the highlights of the 1993 Pro Bowl, and there was some bunch of – there was Hall of Famers all over the field. It looked like a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, they're getting – they're. Hitting guys after the whistle, the guys are quarterbacks are running. All, I mean, it's it was crazy, uh, and it was a close game. Went into overtime and a Pro Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> that's how different it was. So, yeah, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's ever. Going I to tend back. to agree. I will say true as well. NFL true false number three quarterback Sam Howell will be the 2023 starter for the Commanders. True or false? <laughs> no, false. It's the plan right now, right? Like, they cut Carson Wentz. Well, they knew. Taylor Heineke. Of course they were going to cut Carson Wentz. Well, yeah. Taylor Heineke, I think they they saw enough of him over the last two years. I mean, he's, look, that guy's a gamer. Won him a playoff game two years ago. But I think this past year you really saw an extended action, his limitations. Taylor Heineke's a great backup. I'd sign him for the Bills as a backup. But... Yeah, I think they really want to see what they have in Sam Howell. And look at it. They've cleared the deck for him. So I think they at least try it. Now, if it goes up in smoke like a smelly tire fire, uh, sure, they'll make a change in October. I just hope they got somebody else to turn to by then. Right. Um, but uh, I think it's true. I think they're going to try to make it work. The, the level of success, Listen, that's another question. i got to be honest with you. I couldn't pick Sam Howell out of, out of a lineup. I bet you couldn't. But. Yeah, you know, no one. Well, I don't know. It's the Commanders too, but Ron Revere's at the helm. I don't think he's going to go in with a half a plan. That's what I think Sam Howell is. They're going to have some. They're going to bring in some competition for Howell, and anybody they bring in, given what we know about Howell, is going to be in competition with him because you know, there's every chance that they could be better. So I and and I don't know that Sam Howell is going to be good enough. I don't trust that he'll be good enough to hold off all comers. In the Washington locker room, so yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say false. It's hard to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and yeah, I, I so I'm going to say false. All right, that is NFL true false presented by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. Steve, we've got defensive linemen and linebackers on the field today. Daniel yeah. Jeremiah put out his top ten players on the field today. Tyree Wilson. I don't think is participating due to that foot injury that he had. Um, guys, I'm interested in seeing Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher from Iowa. 
Nolan Smith, the edge rusher from Georgia, and Derek Hall, the edge rusher from Auburn, who by all accounts had a very strong senior bowl week in January. Uh, be interesting to see what these guys test out as. Will Anderson, obviously, the Alabama pass rusher, is considered one of the best in the class, too. Uh, be right. interested to see what these guys do. Some people are even saying that edge kid from Clemson, Miles Murphy, is going to test out of the gym. Um, right. As we were talking with Daniel Jeremiah earlier this week, that there is there is some fascination with the freakiness of athleticism that we are about to yes. witness here over these next several days. It's interesting to you. We you don't realize it. we show up here on we showed up on Monday night, got in here on Tuesday, and. We're, we've been walking around. We've been saying hi to all the media people. We know all the friends of the show we've been having. We've got all these guests on. all the, Today, the guys show up. I'm walking down the hallway, and the D linemen are, are starting to mill around. Holy cow. Yeah, there's a guy with an 86-inch wingspan. Yeah. Uh, these guys are – they start with a D lineman, and they are it, – it's like – That's where we're starting? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like it, – literally, it's like going to a zoo. These guys are so big. It's like – it's like a herd of livestock walking around. They're so big. They're freakishly big. Yeah. I mean, they. I think it's Miles Murphy who's got the 86-inch wingspan, the Clemson edge rusher. And somebody, he was at the podium the other day. Somebody said, hey, can you just outstretch your arms for a second? So, you know, that table that they've got right. there, it's like a, a seven-foot table. Yeah. He puts his arms out. <laughs> it's, it's end-to-end on the yeah. table. It's crazy. Uh, so it's going to be great. That they start the the workouts start this afternoon. They're going on right now, and uh, yeah. So we'll update yeah. some of the top performers from today, and have that for you tomorrow. Full slate again tomorrow, Steve, and we're finishing with a bang. We've got our colleague Maddie Glab, ESPN's Matt Miller, and who else will we finish with on a Friday? Then NFL Films' Greg Cosell. We'll see you tomorrow at one.